Welcome to Talent X, the Talent Experience Podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work, empowering you to better understand and deliver a best in class, future proofed career experience. For more insightful conversations, visit talentxpodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Talent X Podcast. Hello, I'm John Holland, and welcome to Talent X, the Talent Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Ben Eubanks. Ben is the principal analyst at Lighthouse Research and Advisory, the author of Artificial Intelligence for HR, and the host of the We're Only Human podcast. So he's a very busy guy. He's a speaker and researcher working to make HR better for talent professionals around the globe. Thanks for joining us, Ben. How are things? Hey, John. I'm so glad to be here. It's going to be a fun conversation. Wonderful. We have a lot to get to. So let's start with this. There was a lot of talk before the coronavirus lockdown about a shortage of skilled workers. And even now in the midst of so much unemployment, you hear that many companies can't find people with the right skill set for the jobs they need to fill. You have a lot of great insight into this. So tell me, just what is driving the need to reskill today's workforce? And how does reskilling differ from good old fashioned retraining? So you're going to find out really quick. I'm a bit of a data nerd. Uh, I'd love to have some evidence to back things up. And so we actually did some research on this because I kept hearing that that question from companies prior to, again, all the, the coronavirus, all the, the chaos that, that that brought with us. We were asking employers about this and 81% of companies said, we think we're going to have to fundamentally change the skills we need. And that they attributed that back, that back to things like automation, changes technology, just disruption broadly because of those things and the way that work is changing. And I'd argue that that's even more pertinent, more relevant now than it was then because we've seen all these things that were very far off in the future or someday kind of initiatives that suddenly became, okay, they're today initiatives in the midst of all this, this change. And as you kind of alluded to, companies are trying to find people. It comes back to, we need better data on the skills. We need to understand what they have, what they're, what's available. So we can tap into that. Uh, so is reskilling just a different version of what we used to call retraining? That's a really good question. So the way that I break it down, yeah, we break down our search is we hear two terms today typically upskilling or reskilling and upskilling is hey john's really good at writing but we're going to help him get better by teaching this new way of, of doing that whereas suddenly we have an algorithm that can do some of that writing john was doing now we're going to let him instead focus on creating new ideas and creating new focus areas for for where to direct that writing and that would be a an example of reskilling, trying to get you to focus on something because your job is changing. The fundamental things that you used to do are different. What's interesting, actually, in the book, I, I point out the human skills of work because I looked at all the tools that are starting to automate some of the things that we do in HR and talent and learning and what those capabilities are of the technologies and what that means for us as talent leaders. Like we're going to have to change the things that we focus on and look at those human skills because. If your your only claim to fame is I'm really good at analyzing a lot of data, there's an algorithm that can do that better, faster, and with less errors than you can. So we've got to think about that differently. So are we reskilling hard skills, soft skills, or a little bit of both? I'd say a little bit of both. 
there's some really great case studies. And again, we're, I know we don't have three hours here for the session, but there's some really great case studies that illustrate those things and how they're changing. Um, GE had a really great initiative recently where they were pushing some of their people through that had some basic development skills, but they were not modern skills. It was, they're very outdated and they're like, Hey, if we don't get these people, changed in what they're doing, then they're going to be obsolete completely. So they, they, they turned them into web developers, pushed them through some, some classes and other things to upskill and reskill them, get them ready for this. And that's a, a really great example of how that can happen on the hard skill side. On the soft skill side, a good example of that one is actually Walmart. They, when they started doing the, the drive up, um, pick up your groceries kind of thing, I always make the joke that it's made for the mom with, with, like my wife with four, four kids under the age of 10, like that's made for them to solve their problems. But they started, the first thing you think of is, well, all those people that used to be checking people out are going to lose their jobs. But they started retraining them as personal shoppers. And what's interesting is they started doing compassion training with those workers on soft skills. What do you do if you get to the vehicle and it's an elderly couple that, you know, maybe can't hear you or someone who doesn't speak English, someone who can't step out of the car and help you because they're, they may be disabled. And so it, they're teaching people how to think differently about that. And it's a really, that's a that's a neat story developing this compassion muscle in them and what's fun for those workers actually is they actually enjoy that type of work more than they did standing there as a robot checking someone out and never really having a personal conversation well that's a really great point i know a lot of companies a lot of people who could really use a little bit of compassion training so <laughs> <laughs> that that's 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 great um one of the best ways for companies and organizations to do this reskilling how do companies track the skills they need from their workers and how do they adjust those skills as the needs of the business change? So the first part of that, how do we, how do we develop those? So one of the things that I, I have always been guilty of as an HR leader, right? I was a practitioner before I was a researcher and I was always guilty of thinking that my view of the world was the view that everyone should have. And so when we did that research that I mentioned a minute ago, we actually asked the learners, the workers themselves, how do you want to learn these things? We also asked the, the talent leaders. And interestingly enough, that doesn't often happen, but both groups agreed on the same, the same methods as the primary. And the first way they want to do that is experiential. Let's learn by doing, by trying, by experimenting. A safe environment. So if I mess this up, it's not going to break anything or ruin the business. But let me try these things and try these skills. And when you think about it, I could give you an article. I could let you watch a TED Talk on how to be you know, a visionary leader, but until I give you a chance to start really casting a vision for your team, it's going to be much harder to just do that. You've got to try it and practice and learn like, hey, that didn't resonate or that's the right way to do that. I'm going to do that next time. You figure that out by doing it. The second most common way is by is through coaching, mentoring, having someone support you and walk you through that. And then last, very, very last in that, that list is some formal training, some formal, some formal sort of structure around that. And what's interesting is the learners who responded to this, they, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say they don't have much advanced knowledge of learning theory, but adult learning theory, the 70-20-10 model tells us that 70% of how we learn as adults is actually experiential, 20% social and 10% from the formal stuff that companies structure and put out in terms of content. So the way we actually naturally learn is how they said they want to learn those things, which I thought was interesting. You know, I, I know that um, prior to the lockdown and the coronavirus and all, all of that, companies, some, it seemed to be some were struggling with how to do training. Um, I remember the bad old days a long time ago when people 
learned in person and so much of it had migrated to online, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but companies weren't spending on training in some cases what they had spent in, in years past. It almost sounds like with reskilling, it's a process that's got to continue with nonstop and they need to spend more money about it. I would definitely agree there needs to be there needs to be some structure to it. It can't just be, hey, you go and figure out how to be a web developer and come back when you do, because there's that's that's not a good uh, strategy. One of our other studies found that companies that are high performing or that have better business results, uh, performance, sorry, profitability, employee engagement, better better employee retention, those companies are twice as likely to have a strategy around how they're getting people developed and skilled up and, and ready for whatever the challenges are that are going to face them. One of the things that I've actually been having lots of talks with different businesses in the last two months is around that informal learning, though, that piece that is more experiential, that is more social. How do we emphasize that right now? Maybe you things are moving really fast. And that's the other aspect of this is if the truth is changing every week, which it feels like some days, that's the truth. That's what's happening right now. If the truth is changing every week, how are you going to put together a formal piece of content to develop your people that's accurate and timely and relevant. Like we can't keep up with that pace. And so letting them have a little bit of ownership over where they want to go, what they want to do, how they're going to develop those skills. That's a, that's an important part of it. Not just because it allows them some of that freedom. And we know that's a driver of engagement and retention long-term, but also because we can't keep up as a company. We can't put enough structure in place to support all of those things that they need to learn at the same time though. I don't want to talk about uh, both sides of my mouth. At the same time, we need to emphasize that. We need to support that. We need to encourage that, that learning, that development's going on because otherwise people aren't going to know which direction to go. Do they know what skills are most important to the business? Do they know what those priorities are for the leadership team so they can make sure and, and go in that direction? A lot of people would say no. I, I know you also have some really great insights into the talent mobility. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, you know, just what is talent mobility? Why is it important? And is connected with the need to fill the workforce? Yeah, absolutely. So the way that we define talent mobility is it's that intersection between the things the business needs and the skills and aspirations of the individual workers, right? It's not just about what their skills are, but also what their aspirations are. Because sometimes we know that the skills that someone has don't necessarily line up with what they want to be, what they want to grow into. And it's about considering all of those things together when we're deciding where to put someone. Unfortunately, most companies look at it from a succession perspective, which is better than nothing, but it's very top down. I'm going to decide where you go and what you do. And if you don't like that, you can leave, but that's not, that's not exciting for most people to be told what to do and where to go. I'm actually reading Bob Iger's book right now. And a lot of those things kind of fell into his lap as he became the CEO of Disney. Eventually a lot of those opportunities fell into his lap over time where people were like, Hey, we need you to go do this thing because you, and it turned out in many of those instances, he had some basic skills. He didn't know where he wanted to go, where he wanted to be. And so they're like helping him figure out what that next path is. And there are times where he pushed back saying, it's, it's not the right time. I'm not ready for that. I need to, I need to hold where I am. That's been an interesting kind of uh, case study and how that happens on, a, on an individual person's level that eventually becomes a, a CEO. In terms of the question you asked around the talent ability, how does that connect to the reskilling conversation? What we found in, in our research is talent leaders say, they truly believe that reskilling someone internally, trying to move them into another role using this, this you know, intersection between that and talent ability is cheaper, it's less risky, 
and it's less of a you know a, a potential potential for all kinds of, of issues, both on the performance front, the culture front, everything else. There's a lot of data that says internal hiring is, is safer for the organization and it's less expensive, but that study also kind of validated that. The talent leader said, absolutely, it's, it's much more risky to try to go outside the business and grab someone than it is to try to move someone inside that we already know. You know, I know, I know John, I know what issues he has. That's okay. At least I'm aware of those issues and we can work around that. There's, companies all the time think, oh, let's go hire that perfect individual outside the company because they don't yet know what those issues are. And you're, you're rolling the dice and you do that because everyone's got something. Everyone's got something that they're not good at and you just don't know what that is yet. And it's so much safer to pick that person inside the business that, that you know fits the culture, understands the business, understands the objectives and has those, those warts that you already do know. Well, and you're getting to a great point because this has been one of the management frustrations I've had for years is that companies frequently go outside and bypass really good solid people that they have inside because they know their own people really well uh, and the people outside you don't know as well so it's kind of the grass is greener but then you get those people from the outside in and you find out geez you know maybe I should have promoted or done some more time working with you know Jane who works who 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 had worked here and had been here and by my move, we drove her to leave. And now we have a person who isn't as good as Jane. Yes. I was going to say, if you, if you didn't point that out, I was going to point that out. Like Jane, in addition to not getting picked, ultimately left because she didn't see a career vision at the company. If you don't put a career path in front of someone and help them visualize that, they'll visualize it somewhere else when the recruiter calls them from the competition. Like they'll see that path and they'll go there. So let's help them see what that path looks like. One of the things that we found in that study was that one out of every five workers doesn't even know if their employer has any idea what their skills are. How does that feel if you're that one person? I mean, some of us might be that one person, but how does that feel if you don't even know if your employer cares enough about you to know what your strengths, what your abilities are, what you want to be? That's a really tough place to be in. It's hard to imagine that group being very excited about coming to work. Well, I love that there's this new focus on talent mobility and there's a term for it because there have been smart companies in the past that have had a plan to get people experience at various levels and various roles throughout the company and they were systematic about it. So talent mobility sounds to me to be just another version of that, but like a smarter one and one that people are willing to talk about. Uh, I can recall people who tried to say, hey, how do I get a chance to do those jobs? And they could never quite get a straight answer from the people on top. This is a much more transparent way to go about it, it seems to me. Yes, absolutely. Well, and again, it's from a practical perspective, like this is a great idea, but a lot of people say, well, yeah, but how do I do that? And there's a Tata Consultancy Services. One of their approaches to doing this is when you start at that company and you're meeting with that, with your manager for the first time, they say, what do you want to do eventually? What do you want to be when you, when you grow up? You know, what do you want to do? What do you want to move into? And at most companies on the first week on the job, when you meet with your manager, if you said, Hey, here's the next job I want, they're going to say, Hey, shut up and get back to work. We just hired you for this job. But there is encouraged from the very first moment you join and the CEO, the CFO and the CTO, all arguably the most important people in the company all started at that company as trainees years ago and moved up because that's the way they, they treat people. They look for ways to move them up according to what they want to be. And they don't ostracize you. If you say, Hey, I want to be somewhere else in the company in a year. They don't, they don't make you feel bad about that. They encourage that and try to find ways to support it. 
what companies do you say are doing a really good job with talent mobility right right now? You probably have some insights about that too. Yeah, there's goodness. There's there are some great stories, and what I love is that everybody takes a little bit different approach to it. Right? It doesn't have to be just like that story where you you do that one thing and copy someone else and do that because it may, may not fit your culture really well. One of the things that I found in the last twelve months last yeah about 12 months or so is that there's been a bigger focus for talent acquisition leaders to be thinking really hard about talent ability and how they can support that because when you ask them they can look at the data they have on hand and say i understand more about the people outside our company than i do about the people inside our company and that's a scary place to be when you don't know what those capabilities are and so one of the companies that does a good job of that and does a really great job of prioritizing that is uh credit swiss they actually have a program called internals first. And if you are an employee there and you've been there for a year, let's say you pick up the phone one day and someone's calling you about a job and it's a recruiter at the company that you're already at saying, Hey, we found another role. It might be a fit for you. You know, it looks like it's a good, you know, your skills align with it. Are you interested? And you can say, no, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't kill your career, but you can also say yes. And you can have that conversation and look into it. And what's interesting is you think about that feeling you get when you got that job offer for the job you're in right now. When you're listening to this, you're thinking that felt really good, right? That feels really nice to be wanted. When you give that person a call and you say, hey, we still want you. We wanted you then. We want you now. That recreates that feeling all over again for them to say they, they desire what I have to offer. That's an exciting place to be. Well, Ben, this has been a great chat. And as is normal with these things, uh, we have much more to talk about than we have time to talk. <laughs> but there's one last question we ask everybody who comes on the Talent X podcast right before we close that I want to ask you too. Uh, and here at the Talent X podcast, we wholeheartedly believe that everyone should have a job that they love. One they're passionate about and uh, just can't get, a, get enough of. So Ben, what do you love about what you do? John, I'm going to admit it here. This is no secret, I don't think, but I'm going to admit it here. I'm professionally curious. You can probably tell by just how I'm sharing. I love stories. I love data. And in my research, I get a chance to really dig into and untangle the questions, the things that I'm curious about and want to understand. So that's so much fun for me to be able to un uncover those questions, uncover those, those issues, and really shine a light in those areas where we can all learn a better lesson to, to do HR in a better way. Well, Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us here today. It's been really a great discussion, and uh, we really appreciate you being so generous with your time. Absolutely, so sir. Alan X Podcast. This is John Holland. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Talent X Podcast. For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at TalentX Podcast. Or join the conversation with hashtag TalentX Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. TalentX, the Talent Experience Podcast, was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel 50.